This is Worst Show Ever. I am CJ Boyd. I'm here in Billings, Montana. Uh, my friend Shane DeLeon is going to tell us a little story. We are at the house of his partner, Mary. And we are, um, are we we're in Billings? Still? We're in Billings. We're right outside of downtown. Okay. In the Pioneer Park section of Billings. There we go. Where I'm told, don't drink the water. <laughs> Yes, I, that's that's. I don't. I do not. The city I sends don't. letters telling you not to drink. She's gotten water. letters from the city saying that water will kill you. Um, let's see. We just played. Uh, Shane is working at the Yam, the Yellowstone Art Museum, and grew up here. Moved away at seventeen. Recently moved back. You're forty-seven. Forty-seven. Yeah. Thirty years. Thirty years. That's awesome. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to Shane is because uh, Shane's one of a small handful of people that I know who've spent a considerable amount on the road, and, and not just a lot over a long time, but like a lot in, in big chunks. What's the longest you've been out, would you say? I pretty much did four years continually. Yeah. Um, there was about 200 to 250 shows a year for four right. years. Um, but I would take six weeks off in Portland here. Uh, right. You know, I'd take three weeks off in L.A., here, you know, and there. But um, for the most part, I'd do a three- to four-month tour, take a few weeks off, mostly to sleep, and then head back out. Now, I don't want to get too far astray before we get into your story, but I've been thinking about that a lot, because that's something I haven't done, and I'm feeling like, for a while, I've not let myself do that, because I got it in my head that if you stop, then it's not the same tour. Like, how long can you stop... And it'd still be the same tour, which is an open question. I don't know the answer to yeah, it. Yeah. But at some point, I did a residency. I think it was in like 2012, maybe 2011 or 2012. I did a one-month residency <clears throat> in Fairfield, Iowa. And as I got close to it, I was like, I can't stay for a month in a place that I'm not. Then it's not the same tour. Then I was on tour, and I stopped touring, and then I'm touring again. Yeah. And then I have to explain that to people, and I don't want... That's too much to say, so I'll just... I ended up doing the residency, but every weekend of that month, I still left Fairfield. <laughs> That's I like, awesome. played a show in like Iowa City and uh, Columbia and St. Louis, and I like made a weekend trip out of town so that I was never actually in Fairfield for more than like four or five days at a time. That's funny. <laughs> which is which is silly. Those are know? all those limitations I feel we put on ourselves. Totally. I mean. You, you, Jacopo, Ovo, these were people that really inspired me, Tallum, to just tour all the time, you know? I mean, when I met you in 2008, you know, so... <clears throat> so we met, we met right at the beginning of my tour. Yeah, we played in Rostock on that Rostock, Soviet tank. yeah, the, Rostock. And, uh, the, yeah, I didn't realize that was right at the beginning. Stubnitz. Stubnitz, yeah. One of the best places ever. Yeah. Um, that's one of the most memorable shows to me, actually. I, that whole show, I was just like, this is incredible. Yeah. We got to play on a big ship. Um, you were great. Um, Stefani was great. Uh, and I'd only been playing guitar like two years at that point. A okay. year. Like I literally was a trumpet player and I was like, okay. I'd become a songwriter. And I thought, well, it's hard to sing and play trumpet. So what, <laughs> what instrument can I tour with? You know, and I was like guitar keyboard. And I was like, guitar just seems easier than moving a keyboard. Sure. And, uh, so that was right. That was Maybe my second. Oh, and Bob Corn. It was it was Alice, Bob Corn, you and me. Yeah, the C.J. Boyd Sextet. Yeah, Sextet. It was four of us on that tour. But that was that was like the first two weeks of my now ten year. That's awesome. And those were the MySpace days. That's when we were connecting on MySpace. Those were MySpace days. Two thousand eight. So yeah, I fully recognize that it was like a self-imposed thing. But it's like the longer I went, it actually, I remember thinking this at the time, and it's even more of this now, where I remember thinking of like, did you ever grow a rat tail? Uh, I had a rat tail. Okay. About uh, 83, oh, 84. Okay. Oh. <laughs> no, it was cute. It was good. It was oh, a good I one. I bet it was, it was cute. It was yeah. braided. Yeah. <laughs> so like the longer you grow a rat tail, the more, the more difficult it is to cut it. <laughs> yeah. Even though maybe the more you should cut it, but but it's like well, but I've been growing it. I mean, have you ever? You've have kind of long hair. Do you ever? You ever have a hard time cutting your hair just because you've been growing it a long time? I like short hair, so this okay. is long for me. And when I do cut it, I'll have this like it's nice. weight off my. And shoulders. I'm that way now. I'm that way now. I mean, I only cut my hair like once a year, but every year by the time I cut my hair, I'm like done with hair for a while, <laughs> and it's nice. 
But I just remember with the rat tail, it was like, if you'd only been growing it for like a couple months and nobody even has noticed it yet, so yeah, it doesn't it's matter. Still a wisp. You can just cut it and no one will even notice. But if you've got it to where like, oh, it's a thing now, yeah. then it's harder. And that's how I felt sometimes about tour. Even though It's I been really it. hard to stop touring. I yeah. mean, it was... Because it does become your identity, you know, and you, and it's, I mean, besides seeing the world and all the great part, for me, it became like my whole life, I wanted to be an independent artist where I didn't have to have a day job or whatever. And the only way I ever knew how to do that was to tour nonstop. So when you do stop, then you have to work. So luckily I would always stop in Portland and I'd go back to my old job because it's just one of those places they always have work. I'd show up, I'd call them, I'd be like, hey, I'm here for three weeks. Can I work? Yeah, can yeah. I work 50 hours a week so I can bank a bunch of money in the next three weeks? Positive, yep. Okay, Where so then work? It's, it's called Point Blank Beer Distribution. Okay. Distribution. Yeah. So I don't know what they did when I wasn't there, but I would show up in town, call them, they'd say, show up tomorrow at 4.30 in the morning and you can deliver okay. beer all day. So I'd deliver kegs. I'd show huh. up twice a year for three weeks and they always had work. And I don't know what they do when I'm not there because there was always work to be done. I'm like, well, who delivers this? Do you think? Here? I wonder if in Portland, if they just have <clears throat> like enough musicians working for them that that's just like part of their business model is to have this to point, arrange point blank, things. Point blank, way. definitely employs multiple touring musicians. Yeah, you know, I worked at the Empty Bottle in Chicago for a little while when I lived there, like in 2007, mm-hmm. beginning 2008, and it was like that where you had to put your name in the book. And as long as you just put your name in there, you don't really have to ask for days off. If it was over a certain amount, you had to like have a conversation with the manager. But but if it's like you need that weekend off, if you were like the fourth person to ask for it, then you couldn't get it. You know, yeah. it's like you, we can't let everyone have the day off that. But if you got into the book on time, you just had the day off and that was fine. And they, they did it because like most of the people there toured sometimes yeah. or did, you know, had shows that they were playing even in town or whatever that just like couldn't always be available but so yeah i mean it was it was hard to stop touring and i mean i have a plan my, my plan is to be here a year and then go back out touring. right like i have it i was like i'm gonna go because i just got broke i was just like literally like living on fumes yeah and, you know and i just had to stop or get some really good shows and i don't know how to book those right i feel you, <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel you. all that is to say i was interested in talking to you in particular and giving a little context here because you're a road dog you've been out a lot so the other thing which you may end up referencing but I just want to say to folks listening is the other reason I really wanted to ask you is and I mentioned this earlier at the show you're such a positive person that I know when I asked you where show you were like I don't want to complain about things I'm not a complainer everything's fine like you're so I think you're so posy that I was like I'm really curious. Like, what, what will... Well, say? my take on me, so, you know, I had a whole other life before this. I was married. I had right. a daughter. And my whole life, I wanted to be an independent artist. And I was always in bands that toured. I was in Rollerball. And that band would tour a month to two months a year. Yep. Go to Europe for six weeks. And we'd all have day jobs. But I always wanted that feeling of knowing what it was like to tour all the time. Right. Like, you know. And I went through a divorce in 2012. And that's when I was just like, well, here's my chance. You know, I've wanted to do this since right. I was 18. And I guess what keeps me positive on most of it is that it was my choice. Like, yeah. you know, I had already done all these other things and really longed to be a touring artist. And yeah. so when I'm with people that complain, and I get it, you know, like I understand the complaints. But when I hear, for me, I was always just like, this was my choice to live like this. Yeah. I knew I was going to be poor. I knew it was going to be hard. Right. But I also knew I wanted to know what it was like to play every day to play every single day in a different town and try to play my best every day you know and kind of leading into my story of the worst gig ever like the first year it was like party like you know because i'd been married and then i just got divorced and i was like i'm a tour all the time so you know i was 41 42 at the time and you know in bars for the most part people are in their 20s and 30s and the whole first year i was just hammered every night (laughs) i was just drinking you know, yeah. smoking, anybody want any drug they want to do, anybody want to take me home. Yes, 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 yes. And then you realize like, wow, if I really want to do this long term, you yeah, can't you party can't every day. You can't be 42 and hang out with 24 year olds every <laughs> night till 5 a.m. Right. You know, so that was after the first year, I really buckled down and was like, I drink my two free drinks every night. I wouldn't get drunk because the first year I just slept in my van in front of the club 
every night, no matter where I was. I'd just drink till I passed out, then I'd go sleep in my van every night. Right. Um, where after the first year, I would get in my van and I would be sober, semi, you know, and I would drive to a pilot station or a Love's or a TNA yeah. or whatever. Because I love sleeping at pilot stations. There's a bathroom all night. Yeah. You know, when you wake up in the morning, there's water, there's whatever you need. Yeah. <clears throat> so I, I be, it became more real. It became a job after the first year where I was like, if I really want to do this long term. Right. So when you asked me about what my worst gig was, I had to think about what that meant. But was it external forces? Like this time I was in Mississippi and I drove six, six hours out of the way and I get here and the guy says... Oh, I canceled your show. I sent you an email. And you're like, you never sent me an email, bro. I just drove here. I mean, <laughs> you go through his email. He never sent me the email. Is that the worst show? Because it was a kind of a shitty day. You know, you right. drove six hours and you lose all that gas money. And Where was that at? It was outside of Tupelo, like 20 miles. It was a dry county. But I knew I didn't want to stay there. He was like, he had been shut down because oh. the cops always came down and they were it was like just like one of those small town mississippi shit where and he was like you don't want to be here at night dude in that van in this town right and i was like that's not really my worst town it wasn't a bad experience i lost some gas money right my worst experience i'm gonna say because it was a personal worst show i probably played in five years of pretty permature yeah was i'd never played austin okay and i'm excited to go to austin austin's you know, so this is maybe 2013. Maybe I'd been on tour for a year. And I'd played around Texas, but I still hadn't been to Austin. You know, Austin's a great music town. You got to play Austin. You've never been to Austin. Okay, let's play Austin. So I get a show at this place called The Blackheart, which is on Rainy Street, which is Hip Street, great venue. It was a great opportunity to put on a great show. But I had played, I think, in San Antonio the night before, so I get there at 2 in the afternoon. Right. I just go to the bar because my MO is I usually pull into town. I usually park at the bar and then I walk around the neighborhood. And I just yeah. like to walk because you drive so much. Yeah. And I'm just hanging out on the patio. Great day. And these three women start talking to me. Oh, you're playing music. You've never been to Austin. Let's, let me take you out. Let's go see Austin today. What that meant was just going to all these different places and then buying me drinks. And me... But you met these ladies at, at the bar? At the bar, the Black okay. Heart, in the afternoon. Oh, I wasn't playing until 10 at night. Right. And I'm there at two in the afternoon, right. just sitting around, like, what yeah. to do? Oh, you've never been to Austin. Let's go to this bar because so and so, who's a local legend, plays at five, and then we'll go over here and we'll see this, and we'll have you back to your show in time. Okay, perfect. And I hadn't been drinking at that point, but you know, when you're with three people that are showing you around town, they're buying you dinner, they're buying you drinks. Anyways, I get back to the Blackheart, which is a nice bar, Americana. It's mostly, I bet, mostly Americana bars, professionals. Yeah. <laughs> I show up and I'm just shit housed. And I remember I could barely put my gear together. I'm like on stage, like, oh God, you know, and there's a full crowd and you want okay. to play good. And I just get, and my hands aren't working. And so then I go to my, I'm not going to play songs. I'm just going to play feedback and <laughs> just play experimental music to all these people that are here to hear some Jayhawk songs, you know? <laughs> And I just remember closing my eyes and just playing feedback and playing pedals. And Wait, had you done that before? Not to the extent where it was my show. But I couldn't function. Like, I literally okay. couldn't play my like songs. Like, you'd done that sort of thing within the context of a song. Yeah. Like, but not for the whole Like, set. you know, I'll play a couple songs and one of the songs has a weird outro and I'll get down and I'll spend three or four minutes with pedals. And then, hey, sure. people clap and then I go back into a song. Because for right. the most part, I'm a songwriter who... As a serious experimental vibe. Right. I mean, and I just remember not being able to function and just being like, I'll play feedback. And I tranced out, which I was telling Mary that you're really similar to me. I don't think we play similar music, but we both trance out. Like within sure. three or four minutes of me playing, I like, the audience doesn't exist. I do my yeah, thing totally. and I am just like, and then I come back at the end. That's yeah. how I function as a musician. I don't pay attention to the audience. Um, and I just did it. I just went out there and I did my thing. And by the time I finished and opened my eyes, like everybody was gone. Bartenders are looking at me like they fucking hated me. Like it was just bad. Um, I could tell I had messed up. Yeah. And they're one of those places that send you a check. They don't pay you that oh, right. Okay. It's like a hundred dollar guarantee, but she's going to mail it to me. Yeah. And of course, you know, I have to send it to some friend's house in Portland that I'm going to pick up. <laughs> right. And to the Blackheart's credit, I went up and I apologized. I said, hey, I'm really sorry. I've never been to Austin. I met some great locals. 
I don't usually do this. I'm usually professional. You know, you know, I feel bad. Like, you know, I, I had a great opportunity to show Austin <laughs> some good songs and I failed. And I think that's probably my worst gig because yeah. I don't do that. I don't, when I show up, I'm, I'm there to play music and I'm there to show my art. I want to impress people and... I just ignored everything, and when I opened my eyes, it was empty, and everybody hated me, just, and it was just like, like oh, the whole, the whole room had just been cleared. Yeah, Were I you just on a bill with other folks. Yeah, it was like you know, people in cowboy hats, you know, playing Americana. But I mean, like somebody was supposed to play after you. Yeah, I think there's someone did play after okay. me. Yeah, I, I literally felt so bad. I went to the bar. They told me I was really rude. I wasn't invited back. But to their credit. When I emailed them the next day and was like, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. They answered me right back. Yeah, we're not going to have you back. But they paid me. They mailed me the right. check. I was always like, holy shit, that bar's cool. Like, they really, they paid me. Like, you know, I ran people out of their bar, you know. Right. And the funny part is, is I remember watching those three girls who had got me drunk all day. And they, you know, they think I'm going to go play great. They'd showed me all their Austin Blues friends and I get up there and do my thing, and I remember like four minutes in, I open my eyes, and they're looking at me like, this guy sucks. And then you feel, not only did I let the whole audience down, I let the people down that had partied with me all day, and it right. like, you know, I had, come see my show, I'm great. And you're just like, uh, I'm going to say that's my worst gig, just because it was a, it was a personal letdown. Like, sure. you know, and it was a really wake-up call to be like, don't drink too much before you play. Right. Stay alert, you know, you're here to... It's your job, you know, it's regardless right. as if there's two people there or if there's a hundred people there or whatever, it's, it's my job and I want to do a, a good job at it. So Right. I noticed earlier you even said, you know, like, oh, if you stop touring, you have to work. And like, I think we do distinguish between like, this is a job and then like working. Yeah. Which is not something, you know, it's like, yeah, I'll do that because I need the money this is the thing I love to do. And if I didn't have to eat every day, I would do this for no money, but I do have to eat every day. So, yeah. so there's, I mean, there's, I guess just that there's that, there's that weird conflict where on the one hand it's a job and we all have the experience of when someone doesn't take us seriously and it's like, Oh, you need to get a job. And you're like, I'm doing a job. God yeah, damn it. Yeah. This is hard work. Yeah. Like, and really like to me, at least, I don't know how you feel, but Playing shows isn't hard work, but booking shows and just the logistics of being in a different town every day and still getting your basic needs met, that is hard work. Yeah. And that's the part that I think of as like a job that I, you know, if there was a way to not do that part of it and still play shows, oh, that'd be amazing. I would, yeah. I would do that, but I don't know how to do that. So like you were saying, you know. I don't know, get the, the shows with all the good <laughs> with the good money. But yeah, I mean, it's like, it is your job. But it's also the job I, I choose, so it's not like work. I mean, it's, it's work in the fact that you're getting paid for. But it, I mean, what I like most about touring is it's when I feel like myself. Yeah. Like here in town, currently I'm working like 32 hours a week. You know, every day I like to go home. I like to play music. I, I like to at least play music for an hour a day. I like to draw every day. You know, these are important things I like to do. I like to see Mary every day now, you know, it's, but at some point you have to cut things out because some days you work another hour or two and then my mom wants to have dinner and then all of a sudden, you know, and I can get really frustrated like, oh God, I haven't played guitar in three days. Like, right. you know, these are all self-imposed rules, yeah. self-imposed uh, things, but they also keep me sane and they keep me happy. So what I love most about touring is it's, it's really, I feel like myself, I feel like if Mary was to meet me on tour two years ago and she was to spend two months, I'd be the same person, but I would be more of myself because I'm so taken up with a job and I'm so taken up with trying to finish things that are important to me every day that even though I feel like myself today, I'm not at ease all the time, you know, because there's right. the conflict of like, I like to play guitar at least two hours a day. Well, you only got to play 12 minutes. And sometimes that can make me really tense and really totally. like, oh my God, I need to practice, you know. Right. Um, and I don't feel like that on tour. On tour, I'm like, God, I had to drive fucking eight hours today. And then I didn't eat because I had to jump in and go play a show right away. <laughs> right. But it's still, I feel like I'm me. Like I feel very uh -huh. 
calm as a person and content with who I am because it's my choices that got me there, which is why I stay positive on tour because I'm like, I decided I wanted to do this. I didn't decide I wanted to work at the museum because I want to do that with my life. I decided that because I was like, damn, I'm five grand in debt and I have zero dollars and my van needs a new differential and I don't want to go six grand in debt because I can barely pay off my credit card this month, you know? So it's like, there's just all these outside external forces. We're on tour. I feel the external forces aren't really there. Like it's a lot more. Just logistics, like you said, the booking, yeah. the it's, but it's just logistics. It's not, I, I just feel like myself on tour and that's really what I like the most about it is I feel like me, like who I think of myself as. Right. Now, I'm really fascinated by this because I'm actually, now I'm thinking about how when you brought up like if you were to meet Mary on the road, because I'm also thinking now about another friend who I talked to on this show in Tucson, her name's Lindsay, and uh, when I met her first time uh it was in nashville and she so she was in that band lake mm-hmm. do you know that band i played with lake yeah times. so she's not in the band anymore but she's like one of the original members she toured with them a bunch and when i met her she was touring with adrian orange uh-huh i know adrian, yeah. yeah thanksgiving they, yeah. yeah when i met them they let me know that they had just gotten married um and you know i didn't know either of them before that but the sense that I got from Adrian was like, okay, he's a pretty like eccentric dude. And I, I was like, I wonder if getting married means that they just like pulled off to the side of the road somewhere and pronounced each other <laughs> man and wife, or if they like actually went and got like a marriage certificate and stuff. So I got to ask Lindsay 10 years, like, I don't know how many years, 10 or 12 years later, like, Hey, did you guys actually get married? She's like, no, and it's so good. We didn't get married because she said now, now to be fair, Lindsay does not identify as somebody who's like most at home on the road. She's very much a homebody and is really introverted and really likes her space and like nesting. Um, But she talked about how, you know, they met, they basically met on tour and like had their romance on tour. And as soon as they moved back to Olympia, it fell apart. Like it didn't work anymore. Like who they were, and the adventure of being on tour mm-hmm. didn't translate into their their sedentary lives. And it just not not that there was any bad blood. I don't think I didn't get the sense that there was any like terrible breakup. It was just like, yeah, this was really this was cool in that context, but it's not really now. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't work. And I and I think they just like let it go. Um and I think about that a lot with I guess in my life, how all the people I've met over the last 10 years, I've met on tour. And so that is my life. But I think, I know that some of those people who, like, we have a great time together, but I only see them once or twice a year. And I know that some of those people, we probably wouldn't get along if we, I mean, I don't know, I don't know who, but I'm just statistically, I'm certain that some of those people, if we actually, like, hung out every day, we probably would go through the cycle of our friendship or whatever. Yeah. And like it would come to its end and that'd be fine. But it, but like, because it's stretched out of like only a couple days per year, yeah. like it might last forever. Yeah. I, <laughs> right? Yeah, for sure. Right. But I mean, most people sort of have a, I don't say an expiration date, but there's like, there's something that at some point is probably, maybe it'll be like the conflict that you guys can't get over. And I think most relate. Now I don't mean just, romantic or sexual relationships but just relationships in general right there's there's usually something that like oh that's going to be a wall and it might take years to get there or might you know and not not everybody but but i think most people i don't know i'm sort of just going no well when i met mary i mean you know i didn't come here with the aspect of like meeting a girlfriend or anything you know and i told her i held her at arm's length for quite a while and i was like i'm going back on like and because, you know, when people meet you, they feel they know you. And I don't I'm not saying this about Mary, but most people like I tell people at my work, yeah, I toured for five years. I don't think they really think about it or believe me. They just think, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, you've been working in Billings at Perkins the whole time, right. you know, like or whatever. And so I was very adamant of telling her over and over, like, no, I'm an independent artist who will be touring again and it'll be hard right. and I'll be gone for, you know, weeks, months at a time. 
And if you can deal with that, we can keep, you know, and it just kept bringing it up to her. Like, right. you know, it's, I'm not a guy who's going to work at the museum forever. Like, you know, it was really important for me to make that point to her so she could see me. Right. And she'd be like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. You've told me that over and over. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? And, but when it happens, you know, hopefully I can take her with me. But if it doesn't, you know, it's. But you were making that point for you is the thing. You would say it to me, but I had never said to you, the idea of you being on tour is intolerable to me or something I can't imagine, you know, because I'm an artist and I've worked in theater and um, you were saying it for you. I was because saying I it for would you. check back yeah. in with you and say, I, I think you're going to be here forever. I think you're a person who no, you never said that to me. Yeah. I think you're this and this is the only thing I can accept. You would just flip around every once in a while when you felt, I think that transition coming off the road. You would just repeatedly Well, I just wanted you to know what you were getting into. You but know? I think she's got a point, though. Because I even hear it now when we're talking about it, and not to get... I mean, this, I hope this doesn't get too heavy, but I feel like, because I relate to this, it does become your identity. And that's the part that I'm really feeling right now because there's a bunch of stuff going on with me where I'm like, I really probably should take a break. Do I know how to do that? I don't know if I know how to do that, but I, I probably really need to... Because I, I'm just like, I'm at my wit's end on a number of things right now. But, but I think this identity thing, this is what I'm really picking up from you. Is like, even when you're saying it now, I hear it as like, and maybe this is a good thing, but it's just like reinforcing. Like, I have a plan. This is not forever. I'm having a good time right now, but this is temporary. And then I'm going to go back into what I love. Mm-hmm. And that seems totally legit, but it, it does when Mary just said that, I was thinking kind of the same thing. Like, were you were you letting her know? Or were you letting you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. Uh-huh. And maybe that's good. I think that I think that there's a lot of times when I've when I've had to have a shitty job, and like the museum thing's pretty awesome. Yeah, no, <laughs> so, I, I fell so into a job you, that couldn't have, have really been I'm much. better. I'm talking about like I worked at Toys R Us, like <laughs> in the shipping department, <laughs> like like unloading trucks. <laughs> Of toys, which are still just big boxes of heavy things. <laughs> yeah. Shitty jobs. The only way I could do it, because I think I'm, I'm kind of terrible at doing what I don't want to do. I think as a, as in general, like I'm, I'm shitty at that. I can't do it very long. Mm-hmm. The way I did it was I gave myself like, okay, this is a summer job. I'm gonna be here for two months or whatever it was. Like if I gave myself a, this is an instrumental good. This is this is something that's getting me where I need to go. I mm-hmm. don't, you know, when I was able to do it that way, it was always fine. And I think that even if it wasn't very enjoyable, being able to say, this isn't what I want to be doing, but I'm doing it right now until this date. And that date, there's something about that that keeps you saying, keeps you able to say, this is who I am right now, but this is not who I am. Yeah, generally. Exactly. There is a part of me, and this is the like philosophical pretentious part. That's like, you are all the things you do. You're not just the thing that you like the most. You're all the things that you do, that we all are, right? Mm-hmm. And that in the, whatever, the book of life <laughs> where you are written, <laughs> you know, that like working at, at the Yellowstone Art Museum will be, that's part of you. And working at Toys R Us will be like forever be part of me. Yeah. Um, and so then there's this other thing of where we're, we're still more attached to presenting ourselves favorably in, in this way of saying, but this is who I really am. Because, yeah, that's how, that's how I identify, you know? I mean, I right. identify as that. And I think it's a lot easier for me because, and maybe for musicians in general, but I'm just going to speak for me, is I'm project-oriented. So, like, you know, when you go on tour with, curve a choir or some other you're like this is a project that lasts from may till june and then i do this so like when i look at the yellowstone art museum i'm like this lasts from this date to this date and then that project's over and then i move on to the next project so it's a real nice way to compartmentalize it because it's like being a project oriented person where it's like oh i'm doing this project with my friend jeremy and i'm doing this project down in joshua tree with my friend steve like you have these different parts oh and i'm at the elston art museum this year because i'm doing that project but those projects don't necessarily have like an absolute end date right you're right no they're just <laughs> i'm just trying to get the album out <laughs> right. i'm just like my when friend... can i get to joshua tree to finish that album that i started down right. there right and you and you it's project oriented but it's not the idea that you need to get it done for some like uh, 
it's it's good to get it done. Yeah. But it's not like a problem if it takes longer necessarily. Well, you were talking about 50 songs. What is the name of this album? 50 Songs, oh, 50 States? Um, Kinships is Kinships, the name of the record yeah. I've been working on. So you were just saying something similar to that when yeah. I first saw you this evening. You were like, I had this deadline where it was going to be right. done. And then you're I like, I'm not going to meet the deadline. And then you're like, self-imposed deadline. I guess I can right. push it back. And with me, it's funny, with that one... Part of it is that the original impetus for the record was it was going to be my 10-year anniversary album. Mm-hmm. Like The way it first came about was Carl at Joyful Noise like said, dude, assuming you just keep going, this was like a couple years ago, he's like, assuming you hit a 10-year, seems like you're going to, like at this point it's like almost eight years, it's like you should do like a record that's like a celebration of your 10 years on the road. I was like, okay, and then this is the project that came out of it and so I thought I should be done by my 10 year anniversary that just seemed in my head I had said so clean that would be perfect right release it on release it like the same it didn't have to be the day but you know like within a month of that day was that's what in my head and I even part of it too was that so I'm playing at Treefort which is that same week Uh, I think it starts on the 21st and the, the 20th is my year anniversary Hmm. um and i had already talked to uh eric there who does the booking for tree fort about putting this build together where i'm playing with people so the record is me covering people from all over the country right each song is a cover of somebody from a different state Mm -hmm. and recorded in that state so i had put this build together like normally when i play tree fort it's just I say I want to play, and Eric puts a bill together. And on this one, I put the bill together with Eric of these people who I'm covering on the record. The idea of it being like an album release show. But I'm not going to have the album (laughs) done in time, so so it's fine. And Eric's not upset about it or anything. Nobody nobody cares but me. But I was like, no, but this was going to be it. And then realistically, what I also had to let myself acknowledge was playing at a festival is not like no matter how good my set is no matter how good the bill is that I'm on it's still in the middle of a festival where hundreds of other bands are playing and it's not a good place for an album release show because nobody really ca- I mean somebody will like it hopefully but people it's not like in an album release show where you hope that everybody's there and it's going to buy the this for 10 years yeah or... that's I'm going to be a footnote no matter what there's just too many things going on yeah. I mean George Clinton is playing Princess Nokia is playing like I'm not going to be the focus of the tree for there's no way that'll ever happen so it's silly it was it was there was a bunch of stuff that went into it but the more I realized like okay this was just me fixating on but actually, you know what, though? Now that we're saying it out loud, I think the other thing is I've felt this as 10 years approaching, this, this like, maybe I'll let myself take a break. And I think that I can't take a break until I finish this project. And so that was part of it, too. It was like, I would like whatever the next chapter of my tour is to be something a little different where I'm not so stretched all the time. I don't know yet how to do that. And I've just been thinking, well, I can't even think about what that is until I finish this. So a lot of it has also been about headspace. I think I've been eager to finish so that I can say, okay, that's done. Now what am I doing? And I don't want to stop touring, but I know that the way I'm touring right now, I've just, I've felt really stretched the last couple of years. Like, like I probably need to take a break, but I don't want to get another job and so then I it's just this conflict of like yeah. well I don't want to do that but I don't want to do this well what are you going to do and I think, I pushed my tour like six months longer than I could function and right. like I was like because I didn't want to stop and then right. it came to the point where I was just like what are you going to do like what are you going to do if your van, brand, van breaks down I mean right. you know I guess you can start a GoFundMe and pray that someone fucking right. send you some money but I was like I'm going to break down in Tennessee I'm not going to know anybody <laughs> Right. What am I going to do? Like, how right. am I going to get my amp home? I guess I'll sell my amp. You know, I was like, it was like those kind of things. Yeah. Like, I am so broke. You know, I'm eating granola bars that I got from a friend who bought a gross of them at Costco. And, you know, I'm stealing shit from pilot stations. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, what am I going to do? Right. So I just like, yeah, it was hard. But I'm now I'm into it because now I like 
you know, I, I, I did run into this good job and it's like, I do get to be in music. It's my hometown. And there is something to be said about it, it was such a shithole in the eighties. And there is a great, not great music scene, a very good music scene that's growing by leaps and bounds because of the guy, Sean, you met today on yeah. one level, who's making it like bands come through so young people can see him. But then there's smiling dog. Who's just giving anybody a chance. Like you can yeah. be a 14 year old noise artist who can't do anything or you, you know, he just will. Hey, I want to play a show. If he's got the night open. Sure. And he's yeah. positive about it. And you know, yeah. And that's really going to change this town. And so it's part, it's fun to be part of that and be like, damn, like kids that are young can actually think Billings is cool. Like when I was a kid, I was just like, this place sucks. So it's fun to, even though I'm an, I feel, you know, I'm 47. I feel older than a lot. I'm, we go to concerts and we're like 20 years older than everybody totally. there, you know? And it's super, I don't think of it that way. I'm just like, oh my God, this band's freaking awesome, you know? Like, oh my God, I can't believe these kids are like... We saw this band like three weeks ago and they played four songs and then he's like, they finish and everyone's like, more, more. All their friends are there. It's like the nicest mosh pit. It's like 30 kids, like (laughs) all the girls and boys like pushing each other around high school, you know? And then he's like, we don't know any more songs. Let's just play the last one again. And then the uh, the bass player's like, no, no, let's play. And he names a song. And the guy who just said, let's play the last one again says, we already played that one. And he's like, we just played the last one too. Well, let's play them both. Uh, you know, and they're just like, they're so young and so full of life. It just makes yeah. me so happy, you know. Mary's been a good sport. I, I mean, you enjoy it too. I don't mean to say that you, you've and been a good sport, but it's just like, I just get so much life out of that. Like, oh my yeah. God, these kids are going to think Billings is cool. Like they have yeah. a reason to... Remember that touring band and the lead singer got so, so drunk he couldn't finish, so he grabbed one of the high school kids from a, an, from earlier on the building. Said, play E. Handed him his and guitar. And he just gave it, and, they were, and the rest of the band was still going. Yeah, that was... They just kept playing, and he just, like, laid down, and this kid just, like, knew E, and he just played E, you know? <laughs> like, it was awesome, you know? And he's all beaming afterwards, you know? It was Manhattan Murder Mystery. I don't know if yeah. you know this band. They're from yeah. LA. They're, they're a fun band, but um, he... Uh, it's just... It's fun to see a young music scene that is I mean 50 kids out on a Thursday night you know high school kids like yeah I, it makes me really happy to yeah. be here and see that because you know loving art loving music it's just been if I would have come here and it would have been like when I grew up here and it's just like people yeah. calling everybody fags and trying to beat each other up I would have just been like I can't believe I moved here right. but to come here and be like oh some weird touring band I've never heard of and two high school bands. Like, let's go see this. Like, there's not a lot to do. So, you know, in Portland, I probably wouldn't have seen any of these bands because, you know, there's a bunch of stuff I want to do. But here it's like, once every other night, there is something to do. I mean, it might be Insane Clown Passy one night (laughs) and then, you know, a high school band the next, but I'm going to go see ICP. Like, I don't (laughs) care about them. I don't know about them besides, you know, anything. But it's like, well, hell, they're happening. Why not just go see what this cultural phenomenon is about? Right, right. You know? uh, When I lived, when I did that residency thing in Fairfield, it was like that where, like, I think during that course of the month, that month, maybe twice, I had friends who just happened to be, like, friends I knew from touring. I remember there was a band called The Back Pockets. They were from Atlanta. And they came through. I think they were going to play a show somewhere already there. And then I, I, I got them another show. Or maybe I got them a show in Fairfield. I can't remember. But yeah, I was just like so stoked. I was like, I have friends that are coming through. That's sweet. you know. And, and I was so stoked you were coming. Because like, I yeah. remember I texted you like four or five months ago. And I was like, hey, if you ever come through Billings, you're like, yeah, I never make it up that far north. So when you were like... When no, because I, I mean I've played Billings a yeah. couple times. Oh, well, yeah. I think you told me and I was like, oh yeah, good to know. But I still... This is what's hard though with other road dog friends. It's hard to like put it in my head that you live in a place. Even with just not even no road dog, but just folks who move, yeah. it fucks with me. Like, you know, my friend Bailey, I know her is Oklahoma City and she lives in Tucson now. And I have to like remind myself, okay, Bailey lives in Tucson, not Oklahoma City. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like make time to see Bailey in Tucson, not Oklahoma City. Yeah. Um it's just yeah, it's like I'm the moving target and it's very self-centered but it's it's then it's harder to with other people who are also moving I have to sometimes I, I miss it I like my brain doesn't fully absorb the new information and there's still people that I'll like I will 
and I will say this is a trick uh, now that I do where it's like I put everybody in my phone by state <laughs> but yeah I think initially when you told me I still I like took in the information and then it was a minute before I was like oh wait yeah Shane lives in Billings now yeah that's still happening I think also because before that you were jumping around a lot like, and you never knew me as a Montanan you either no, thought of me as no. someone from Portland or California, I'm sure. So. Yeah, I think of you from Portland. When I met you, or I don't know if you were living in Portland when I met you, but I think the first time we hung out besides in Germany. Yeah, well, I was 2008. Was I, when, when I met you in Germany, I was still married and living in Portland. Yeah. But then after that, I, like, we hung out in L.A. the one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at that time, I think you were just, you were taking little breaks in between and yeah. doing like, were you doing Uber driving? or uh, Postmates. Postmates. Yeah, because I liked Postmates because you could, it's it's food delivery, but I did Postmates in LA. I did Postmates in San Antonio. I did Postmates in it Philadelphia. Again? It's, it's it... just an app on your phone. You deliver food. So, like, okay. if, deliver if, anything. Yeah, they deliver anything but people and drugs. That's what they tell you. <laughs> you can deliver anything. anything. I was living in LA and I would literally go to like, uh, porn stores and get like whippets like i'd go get a bottle of vodka and whippets and go drop it off at some guy's house oh, and it's, it's not drugs wait no whippets are not considered drugs because they're legal okay. you can just go to a porn store and buy them okay like, you know Gosh. i bought a dildo for somebody <laughs> like you know i bought like you know you buy liquor california's really lax i don't think right. every state would let you deliver liquor but california is. but is it does it exist nationwide yeah, yeah so yeah. like in chicago it's big but i was i was based out of la so in la i could schedule myself and so i would get priority but like i'd be on tour and i'd just be in like san antonio and i'd turn the app on okay and like i'd just be sitting around doing nothing all of a sudden it'd be like you know Somebody needs Would you? Want, it's like it was all Taco Bell. You're like, uh, where's that at? Oh, it's only half a mile from here. Dude, and you just take the job, and okay. you know, and it's the money's put directly into your account. You know, so yeah. it's like you could work anywhere. I did in Philadelphia. The best is L.A. because no one wants to do anything, so everybody tips you great. Like Philadelphia, okay. I was making like two bucks an hour. I did it okay. one day, and I was like, ain't nobody tipping here. You ain't making no money because I'm driving my van around. It's gas, you know. Right. So, but um. It was a good job to do on the road. I didn't do any other jobs on the road besides that. Yeah. But, you know, the only place I really did it was L.A. But I would turn it on in some states and do it for a couple days. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, then I think when you first moved here, I don't think I knew your whole plan. And so I still don't think I knew if you were just, like, here for a month or a couple months or for how long. Well, I think that's how we think of most of our friends that tour. You're like, there's never anywhere. Yeah. I just wanted to go back to Adrian Orange real quick. Oh, yeah. I booked that kid when he was 12 years old. So Holy when I was living shit. in Portland. Really? Yeah. I was. He was 12 <laughs> years old, and my friend Cherry Sprout was like, have you ever heard Adrian Orange? And I was like, no. He's like, he's like this 12-year-old that's playing music. He's like, you got to book him. Cause I, I have was, no idea. I was wow. doing uh, these concerts in the basement of this restaurant called It's a Beautiful Pizza. Okay. And um, yeah, I booked him. He was 12 years old. And I was just like, oh, what my God. What year would you say this was? This would have been 1990. Nine, two thousand, <laughs> around true. there. I mean, he's still not even thirty. Well, I, I guess think. he's younger than I. I didn't. I have no idea how old he was. I mean, I just we've only actually hung out the one time in Nashville, and then we kind of kept in touch, but we didn't like. I haven't seen him since then. That was probably like two thousand. Yeah, I mean, I. I'm friends with him on Facebook, and he's real intermittent out there. He like yeah. busts a bunch of stuff out, and you don't hear from him for six months. But yeah. I haven't seen him forever. I mean, I saw Thanksgiving a couple of years ago, but. I wouldn't say I'm even good friends with him, but I always was just like, I didn't know anything when I was 12 years old. So whenever I see young people yeah, playing music, like that at least have a clue, like, you know, of any sort, like, you know, I'm just like, damn, I wasn't doing anything. I was like playing with Star Wars figures and like <laughs> right. trying to figure out how to beat off. Like, you know, like I didn't even, I can't imagine like, like I'm going to write a song about my experiences in middle school. Like, you know, like, yeah, totally. it just, it blows my mind whenever I see kids like that. Yes. Yeah, this kid who I booked here, I mean, I think Jackson's 17, but still, this kid's pretty fully realized musician for being 17 years old. I mean, I know that's getting up there, you know, you, you can oh, be fully yeah. realized. But, you know, he's got ideas, he's got lyrics, he's got stage presence. It's funny. Like, yeah. Funny, like, you're just like, you know, it's just, I always like young people. They're They're inspirational to me. Yeah. You mentioned this earlier, and I was thinking about it for myself because 
the being the oldest guy at the show thing, I, I'm still sort of in that zone where I'm definitely the oldest guy at some shows, but I'm not the oldest guy at every show. And I'm, <laughs> There's always someone older who's a photographer. Not always. <laughs> <laughs> There's like this local photographer here that goes to like oh, here? Okay. 90% of the shows and okay. he's in his 60s. So okay. I'm like, oh, hey, Scott. You're, <laughs> You're like, what's up? You're stoked there's that guy. Uh, yeah. But I, I do wonder, like I can't imagine myself not touring. So that's maybe a lack of imagination or maybe that's because I won't. I don't know. But when I think, okay, well, I'm 38 now. And sometimes it's weird, but I'm fine with it. It doesn't really bother me. But then I think, will there be a point where I'm like, I I shouldn't be here? <laughs> like, well, think about Jack Wright. I mean, do you know Jack? Mm, Jack he's Wright. a saxophone, free, yeah. free jazz sax player. Oh, he's late 70s. He's been right. touring nonstop forever. I, mean, I think venues matters too. Like, yeah. He's playing free jazz in our free galleries. Free jazz in our galleries is one thing, and like yeah. you're, and also if you're like the oldest person there, but there are adults of all ages there, that's one thing. But like if I'm playing a house show where it's all people under twenty one, and I'm like in my late thirties or forties, like that that feels weirder to me than just being an old guy at a show where there's people of all different yeah. ages, you know. Um, and it's fine. Like, I still feel fine with it, but there's this, like, little bit of worry. Like, do I seem like a creep? Like, do I, are people going to think that I'm, like, if, what's the movie? There's some, uh, was, like, Dazed and Confused or one of those movies yeah. where it's, like, the, with the, what's the high name? school girls. And there's some duties. Like, I get older, but they stay the same age yeah, or whatever. it's creepy. It's, like, uh, what's, his, what's his name? You don't want to be that guy. Like, I definitely don't. Matthew McConaughey. Isn't oh, is that who? Yeah, I think okay. that's who Okay, I remember the line. I can remember who says it. Yeah, it's Matthew McConaughey because he's yeah. like in his like late 20s and he's hanging out with high school girls. And he's like, you know what? I'm like, yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. I definitely don't want to be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think, I mean, hopefully no. But music is such a great equalizer because this guy, Jackson, who I've booked a few times and I've invited him to play concerts. I don't look him in as a young kid. Like, I look at him as a peer and... I kind of feel he looks at me as a peer, you know? Okay. Um, I think music and art in general are great equalizers for age. Um, maybe not with everybody, but with a lot of people, I, I'm i like, oh, this kid's young. And then I play with him once and I'm like, oh, you're an artist who has an idea. Sure. And you have, it really equalizes it for me, you know, even though, you know, he's singing about high school things. And, right, right. You know, like you're still just like. But that's different than the audience. Like, you know, when we go to these shows that are all high school kids, because you can bring your own beers to Smiling Dog. So there's like five adults and we're like standing at the back. (laughs) I bring a six pack and then everybody else is like 15 to 18. Right. And, you know, they're so cute in their mosh pits. Like they're just like laughing and pushing each other. I grew up near New York and in high school, if I went into New York for a show and there was a mosh pit, like you could get your collarbone broken. Like We would be real yeah. serious before we try to get in there. And these kids are so lovingly moshing. Right, right. Cause they it's like almost ironic, but it's yeah, not it ironic. Is. Like It's ironic in it's the fact that they're like, we're moshing, we're right. moshing. But Can it's, you? it's sort of like in the same way, I mean, I don't know, you were talking about being in high school and jocks calling people faggots and shit yeah. like that. I mean, that's there are things that have just been normalized now co-opted whatever you want to call it of just like uh you know piercings and yeah. just things where that were like in the 80s would get your ass kicked that now is like well you know you go to hot topic and <laughs> yeah. get like your septum pierced or whatever and it's yeah. it's pretty normalized and it's funny to see the kids try to rebel against that because how do you rebel against something that's when yeah. everything's been normalized you know right. like how do you what do you rebel against if i mean if you can't show that you're different by tattoos and piercing modifications and, is a thing now yeah. and that was like i didn't know about that as a kid but i've met kids that were like trying to take it further than piercings and doing all kinds of like body mods wow. um yeah there's there's all kinds of you can you can always take it further, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, I think of that with moshing too, where I remember mosh pits where there were skinheads in there that were like looking to fight. And I was like, I like to mosh, but I'm not fucking with that guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna mosh over here. Guy in the jack boots, I'm out. Yeah. 
And but yeah, but it's all friends. I've seen it so many times now. Where it's like high school kids that are having a good time. Like we're moshing. We're yeah, moshing. and it's so great because great. it's really joyous. I mean, the scene here in Billing seems really young, and yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know, really supportive, really supportive, like, really young. And if the, the guys have chance for there's this band had never played before, and there were like people in the audience who had already come up with a chant. Remember that okay. band? It was like their first performance as a high school band that we saw recently. And they had those three guys in the audience who had already come up with like these chants and things to like support them. Uh, and were like remember. up in the front. That was crazy. Oh, they were down on their knees. Like, yeah, right? yeah and they were doing that. all yeah, these yeah. weird movements and chanting. And it was all like, they had choreographed it to go along with these songs because this band had never played in public before. That's it was awesome. really supportive. That's yeah, awesome. and it's... And, you know, it's great because the guy who's running it, Michael Ludlum, the smiling dog, um, he's my age, you yeah. know? And he could easily, he just owns a record store and he loves music and he's, yeah, he could be out drinking, doing whatever anybody who's 48 does. But instead, he's spending three nights a week. I mean, it's $5 to get in. He keeps half, you know, so 250 of everybody that comes. But we've been there and there's five people there. You know, so he's staying open late a lot of nights for yeah. five people. But then we've also been there when it's just, you know, 50 kids packed in a space that holds 30. You know yeah. what I mean? And I'm just like, without that guy, I mean, he's going to do a lot for this. And I have so much respect for that because yeah. I grew up here. So I just want this town to succeed, which I didn't care about until I came back. Like, yeah. I was just like, Burling's going to burn down. I don't care <laughs> at all. Like, yeah. you know, it's a bunch of factories, sugar beet factories, refineries, like, you know, Meth, drugs, violence, but now I'm here. I'm like, oh my god, these kids have an opportunity to have a good life and stay here. Right. You know, because I just couldn't wait to leave. I like graduated. That's like later. Right, right. Well, shit, dude. I think that's, that's good. That's good. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Patreon pledges of Dewana Fryman, Meg Roberts, Christina Perez, and Evan Quayberg. If you'd like to support this endeavor, please go to patreon.com slash worst show ever.